Welcome to the Remnant by Reclaim 611 podcast. I'm Paula. And I'm Carrie. And we are continuing our Survivor Series this week. Um, if you all listened last week, I'm sure that you really just felt the story. You you enjoyed the story. And hopefully you're coming back to take this journey with us again. Mm. We are going into part two of our Survivor Series with Chelsea. Welcome back, Chelsea. Hey, Thanks Chelsea. for having me. Yes, thank you so much for for doing what you did last week and just um, being willing to share your story and even being vulnerable and transparent about everything that happened. So thank you again. And, and you're back. Yeah, she right? back. she's ready for she's ready to keep going. Yes, right. She, we didn't scare her off. We now, didn't I, her I know off. that's I, hopefully. Right. <laughs> thankfully. Thankfully, we didn't run her off. Thankfully, she decided to come back and keep talking with us and keep, you know, keep the conversation going. Absolutely. So we are going into part two, like I said, and last week we kind of stopped like about middle school time, right? Mm -hmm. um, you told us last week that the sexual abuse with your father and his friends lasted from about four to 11. Correct. All right. So after the abuse ended, I guess we could say that, after it ended with your father, how did it impact your behavior? It, I mean, it was in so many different ways. It, one, like I said, I was acting out and self-harming. Um, I was always, like I said, an energetic child. So, I mean, the fighting with my sister was really nothing new. But more so, like, on an emotional level and everything, it, it just, it's the trust that gets betrayed and... It's just, I don't, it was it was a hard thing for me to learn to deal with. Um, like I said, my coping mechanisms were not the best ones. I had no prior, I had no education into how to cope or what coping was. So I, of course, acted as a child would. I self-harmed. I acted out in school. Academically, my grades were horrible. But the school I was in, like I said, was a very nice school. So academically, they were more focused on you could be failing all year. They will try to help. They will send notes home, whatever. But when it comes to the end of the year, if you're failing, they would rather put your grade on a curve just to be able to pass you. Mm. So that was – it was kind of a relief for us as children because we knew that even if our grades were bad at the end, the teacher would give us a test graded on a curve. But it just – my mind was not in school anymore at all. Right. Okay. So you said something. You said the trust. Yes. You you, you didn't have a lot of trust after that because, you know, the people Why that would you're you? supposed to trust, <laughs> you know, have betrayed you. Father have yeah. betrayed you, specifically your father. So how did that um, impact your friendships? Because last segment you told us about the friend you played with in the apartment complex and you trusted her with information yes. and she told her father and then all of a sudden, you know, that friend was snatched from you. So did you have friends in school and what did that look like? I did, but like I said, I wasn't the one that I didn't fit into the norm, whether it was physically or academically. I wasn't up to par with other students. So the kids I hung out with were other kids that people would consider outcasts. Gotcha. In my school, it was a predominantly white school. There was no African-American children. There was no Hispanic children of any other race 
until I was in eighth grade. And then these two African girls came in. They were beautiful, and they became my best friends. Wow. <laughs> now, but the thing is, like, we became so close that she was like a sister to me. I she I entrusted her t- enough to try again and tell her. And I told her what was happening. And it was more so along the lines of the question you asked of last series of if I asked if it was normal. And I did with her. And she said no. She was like, but I made her promise to me that it would never go further than us two. And that's another part that messes you up because that right there defined my definition of loyalty from the beginning. And loyalty to me was not saying anything. If you love me and you care about me, then you don't tell anyone what I'm saying. It doesn't matter if it will help me in the end. But that was my definition of loyalty from then on. Because you had to survive. Yes. And (laughs) so to me, so growing up from there, loyalty just became you don't air your family's dirty laundry out. You don't tell on someone else. And that's not, I mean, that's not really what true loyalty is. <laughs> so but in a survival mode, exactly. it is, yeah. Right? right? Yeah. So to me, I found one true friend. Oh. <laughs> mm. So she kept your secret. Yes. Mm. Wow. wow. And that's what you needed at that time, though. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Because me and my sister could talk, but, I mean, just with the stress that was happening with both of us, because, it's, like I said, we weren't the best kids. We both went through abuse Mm -hmm. and it's like but when we were with each other if we weren't fighting we decided like we're not going to spend our time against each other because we both survived it so we're not going to dwell on it you know Mm -hmm. so we kind of just egged each other on as far as like no we're okay (laughs) so okay so you said a lot and I'm trying to gather it all and just make sure we kind of navigate this conversation the right way. So what was, let me ask you this. I don't know if we covered it last time. What's the age difference between you and your sister? My sister is 18 months older than me. Okay, gotcha. Not that much older. Yeah, she's the only biological sister that I have. Outside of her, my stepdad had three girls coming into the marriage, and my mom had me and my sister, and then together they had two children okay so and then I had another brother with my dad and my stepmom gotcha so did the siblings coming into the marriage how was your relationship with them it was great okay they were I mean it was extra sisters it was great but it the root of it all no matter what happened at the end of the day my my solid circle was me my sister and my mom that it was us from the beginning before anybody else came in the picture. So that was my foundation. <laughs> and we might have said this in the last segment and just remind, just to remind me or the listeners, when you were talking about how your abuse ended um, with your dad, how did it end and why did it end? My dad and my stepmom had a child together. And as he grew older, she was more, she was at home more. So, because she was an on-call nurse, she was gone any hours of the day, but once he was born, she was taking more time off, so he didn't have the freedom or the time allotted alone, so he had to step up more responsibility with my little brother, which of course put instilled fear in me, because 
yes, I was happy my abuse was ending, but I knew there was a new baby coming into his life. And it scared me because I'm like, I can't protect that child either if I couldn't stand up for myself. And it made me happy, like I said, in one breath I was taking a breath of relief that it was coming to an end for me. But it was such a new grieving process of wondering what was going to be happening next and knowing there was really nothing I could do. Because at this time, his mother, my grandmother, she was at the point of being inappropriate enough to where she would pull my sister and I aside, you don't air your family's dirty laundry out. You need to stop making up lies and trying to tear this family apart. Stuff like that. It family functions, <laughs> needless to say. And it's like, so therefore, now after having growth and everything, I realized like people, I used to hold such hatred in my heart for my dad. Because I'm like, he's the most disgusting thing ever. I mean, he's there was no forgiving that. But now, like I said, after my healing, it's I've accepted and learned that hurt people hurt people. Mm. And the way that my grandmother was acting, the things she was saying, oh, it could only lead me to believe that something happened with him, which does not by any means excuse right. what he did or right. justify it in any way. But it... Open, it sheds a little more light on it for me. It helps me to be able to accept it as what it is. And and now instead of hatred, I just feel sorry for the man. I do. Man, so much of what you said, just the maturity that you didn't even realize you had. I don't even know if maturity is really the right word here. But as a child, I'm hearing you, you're in your own survival and you're feeling a weight of relief from what you're coming out of, that your abuse is stopping. Yet, as a kid, you're grieving over your the possible abuse of your brother, what yeah. that might be happening with him or in his future. And it just says so much about you, that you take on, even in all of your abuse, you're grieving your, your sibling, if something you don't even know is happening. I don't know. That just says so much about you and just the amount of weight as a child that you're taking on and having to take on. And so many other kids would in abusive situations. I don't even think we realize how much kids take on. And I mean, it's just incredible to hear um, and then just to see your perspective now, like, I just can't say enough about like your healing process and where you are today and to be able to reflect on that. You know, I know not everybody can see Chelsea, you know, if you're not watching on YouTube, but just the tears that well up in her eyes when she talks about her brother, you know, and that that pain, she's grieving not only her own pain, but this her siblings pain. And I don't know, I just wanted to stop and make that point. I think it's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Carrie, because I was sitting here just baffled um, thinking how she was able to survive as a young child and still go to school. Yeah, and, I mean. And, and still live, you know, kind of a normal life, I guess, a as normal as she could live mm -hmm. considering everything that she went through. So I was sitting here just thinking, how does a child just get up and go to school every day? and be somewhat okay and wake up and do it again the next day mm -hmm. and the next day and the next day and s seriously wake up and you're here today yeah. 
A lot of it I fed off the strength of my mom. Because even though, granted, she didn't know what was happening or any of that, I saw my mom, no matter how hard things got in her life with us as kids, any of that, I saw no matter how hard life tried to knock her down, she laughed at it and was like, no, I'm going to show you. Like, And she fought through it. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, like, no, I didn't know what was happening wasn't normal at the time. But as I grew up and I realized that it wasn't, it's like, if my mom could fight through all of this and every day, no matter if she cried herself to sleep at night, she was still up the next morning getting us breakfast and like making sure that we were okay. Then it's like, I can do that for her. That's why like I took her emotions and her peace in such high regard. And I was like, I could do that. Like my mom is who I look up to. So it's like, She's got that in her, and she made me. Like, I know I've got that somewhere. <laughs> I've got a little bit of that in there somewhere. So That's, that's, that's good. That's amazing. Um, and thank you again. I remember last week, the tears mean yeah. pain, pain and, and passion. passion. <laughs> Which yeah. I just keep thinking is maybe, like, the title of a book someday. I mean, like, there's just something about that coined, yeah. like, right. two words. Pain I love and it. Passion. Pain and passion. So you had some problems in school. Yes. You had behavioral problems as well as academic problems. Did you graduate from high school? High school, no. Um, high school, I went, well, and like I said, from pre-K to eighth grade, I went to a Catholic private school. So growing up, there was a public high school literally straight across the street from my school. Us being the conservative kids that would go out on the front line or be going to church, we saw all these emo, goth, rocker kids cut in school. And, like, they would put the fear of God in us. (laughs) Now, my sister was lucky enough to where my grandparents were like, okay, we're going to send you all to a private high school next. Well, she got in there, started doing her own thing, decided she didn't want to stay. And they were like, we just spent all that money, so... We're not going to take the same chance on you. So I got put straight into a public school, (laughs) and I was terrified. But it turned out being great. I loved it. Well, I ended up drinking out of the water fountain, and I caught mono. And I was literally asleep for the next three months of my life. (laughs) I got out of bed to use the bathroom, and that was it. It was miserable. Well, with me missing so much school, they said, we're going to send you to an alternative school, which is a school for kids with behavior problems. And that way you can make your credits up quicker and graduate on time. It was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Because at this point, that is when I started getting into my mom's pills to where I was taking them myself. Um, She was worse than her addiction with those. Um, And there... I just picked up fighting. I started selling pills during school. I got picked up, I think, twice because I got so high during school that I couldn't function right. And our cop had to call my mom and was like, look, she's underage. Do you want her to go to jail or do you want us to take her to get help? And, of course, she was like, take her to get help. They just sent me to the hospital, make sure I wasn't overdosing, and they let me go. So I got kicked out two weeks before my graduation. Gotcha. (laughs) Something I want to ask you, because I understand that the abuse happened with your father from four to about 11. Yes. Did you experience any other abuse after that? So from 11 until about high school, what, what did your, I guess, personal sexual life look like? Um, 
when it started, I lost my virginity voluntarily when I think it was a month before I turned 15, which in my area of kids, that was great. <laughs> I was doing good. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a horrible experience. It was the worst experience I've had in my life. I was with some guy I just met. It ha- it just didn't go good at all. <laughs> um, and the way that he just disregarded me and what happened just reconfirmed everything I was already thinking and that I'd already been told. And the guys in school were always, I was just looked at as a sex object. And I took advantage of that because it was attention I had never had. Mm -hmm. It was attention, not everybody always says you always look for your dad and other men. But I was, that that (laughs) wasn't my, (laughs) that did not, that didn't, that didn't come down with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was looking for the opposite, but it didn't matter. It was just that I was getting attention. Guys were stopping their conversations when I walked by, mm-hmm. and I ate it up. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if that cost me my pride or my dignity or any self-respect or respect from anybody mm-hmm. because I was so – now guys want me like I'm getting like I'm the topic of a good conversation now so I ate it up there's and some empowerment there yeah right and it's just it it's a complete ego thing mm-hmm. and it's so it's so destructive mm-hmm. <laughs> it is so destructive but I I ate every bit of it up and it went like that for a long time and then that I was with boyfriends that would try to coerce their way into what they wanted. If I didn't give it up as easily, then it became a forceful thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's like, maybe, I mean, it just, it's so many years of, if someone tells you a lie every day for a certain amount of time, eventually that lie in your mind becomes a truth. You start to look at it from a different angle. Well, you know what? Maybe they are right. Maybe this is true. And all of those years of men only are going to want sex from me. That's all I'm good for. And it just being reconfirmed every turn. Mm. It's like, okay. And then I ran into someone that was like, you know what? Why are you giving this up for free? You know how much money we can make off of this? Now, was this still in high school? Yes. Wow. Okay. And that was like, boyfriends would make comments. And then I was, no, I'm, because and back then, it was only pretty girls that were able to do that, but I didn't fit the standard mold. So I was like, no, it was just a conversation. But then as I turned 18, that's when my first encounter happened with any type of pimp or, and it just, it was horrible. <laughs> wow. See, I, I, didn't, I didn't know all of that, all yeah. part of your story. Um, <laughs> so again, thank you mm-hmm. for that. And I mean, I think that, well, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting here on what happens in trauma as a young child, right? And so you have had no power or choice over anything. You have been, I mean, the abuse itself. And so you're seeing um, boys who are giving you attention and it's a false empowerment, yes. right? That this is now I have control over my situation where I've never had control. And so that's what you're going to gear to. Right. And that kind of spirals out of control as it as it will. Right. When you are um, doing things you don't necessarily want to do and you're doing them to fill a void in your life. 
um, that hasn't been filled before. And then on top of it, your mom has an addiction. And you see her coping in a certain way, I'm assuming, so you can fill in here. I mean, I didn't realize it was coping at right. the time. Right. I As just a child, saw you that see it. she was taking the things that were being given to her, and she'd fall asleep sitting up, she'd fall asleep standing up. She would, you know, like, just stop talking during a conversation and nod out. And that mm-hmm. was normal to me because mm-hmm. I knew she was tired. I justified it all the right. way around. I justified right. everything with her. And that became a toxic trait of mine because I held her at such high regard for, like I said, the times when she didn't know what was happening and how many nights she didn't know what was happening, but she saved my life. Mm-hmm. Like she was my drive to fight through it another day, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. It's <laughs> well, she's your she's your mom. Yeah, <laughs> she's your mom. Um, so I guess my question is, when you were going through all of this in high school and um, the men that were giving you attention, and then you said that's when you started taking pills. Yeah. Um, where was the correlation there? Was that um, a coping for you, not knowing that it was coping then? It was okay. It started out because, like I said, as a child, I was a very anxious and emotional child. Mm-hmm. I started having panic attacks on a, at a very early age. Um, now, when talking and all of that didn't help, and my mom taking me to the emergency room because she didn't know what was happening, and them saying she's having a panic attack, there's really nothing we could do for her. My mom implemented the idea that, okay, I have Xanax, and I know that this will calm her down. So it was not presented to me as, here, this is Xanax. Take this. It'll help. It was in the midst of a panic attack. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. She throws something in my mouth, says, chew it up. I know it's going to taste horrible. Here's some water. And then I would be out for an hour or two. And I knew that it helped. And I loved it. And the first time I ever actually... Walked in on my mom using, like, without taking it as directed. Um, I didn't know what she was doing. And I was just like, hey, she's like, get out. You can't tell anybody what you saw. I said, well, I haven't saw anything. I was like, but I won't tell. Just let me in on it. I don't know. I didn't know what it was, but I knew my mom was doing it, and it was okay. <laughs> I, said, I just went in on it. I don't care what it is. So we did Xanax together. And then I realized how many other pills that she was getting because she was going to a very crooked pain management doctor. And I started taking those. And it was, I'd ask her for one here and there, but then it was when she wasn't looking, I'm stealing a handful of each of them. And then it led to, I'm stealing them, taking them for myself, and then selling them at school now. (laughs) So it spiraled out of control very quickly. And was she pretty aware, like, like her pills were missing? Oh, like once, she, yes. At one point, once she saw that I was actually making money off of it, and she had more than enough to get through the month on top of what I was taking, on top of what I was selling, we were, it was an ally type thing. We became, that just made our bond even stronger. Not in a healthy way at all. <laughs> but it just made our bond that much stronger. Because now... This is my mom that I can talk to about anything. I can talk to her about guys I've slept with. I can talk to her about all of this. Like, we are best friends. Like, we're closer than white on rice. <laughs> and, but it's such a toxic relationship. Yeah. 
is so destructive. And of course, you're not seeing that then because no. this is your mom. That was and the best thing that ever happened to me then. Right. <laughs> I get to get high and I get to be with my mom. And she's okay with it. So it was great. Gotcha. Wow. So you um, mentioned something before we went on air, and it was one of your coping mechanisms. Yes. And if I ask you a question, your answer may vary because of this coping mechanism. So, for instance, if I say, well, when did you graduate or... What year did I get my GED or yes. what year was I supposed to graduate? Yes. I couldn't tell you. And why is that? What, what? Dissociation. That was a huge, huge, huge center point of my coping mechanisms. With dissociation comes the phrase, I'm losing days. I'm, I lost a week in between somewhere. I'm losing. I'm missing a couple of days here. And that's because your mind is so overwhelmed on everything that it's trying to protect you from that instead of you holding it in, your mind's first defense mechanism is we're not here right now. So therefore, with the mixture of me dissociating for years and then on top of that, drugs and abuse and trauma, I lose a lot of time. My timeline gets chopped up a lot. I, like I said, I couldn't tell you exactly what year I was supposed to graduate middle school. I couldn't tell you what year I started using drugs. I couldn't tell you what year I got my GED or when I was supposed to graduate. Because, like I said, drugs played a part in it, though. I do. I can own up to that. But dissociation is such a big and true thing with people that is, I mean... It's your body's way of protecting itself, your mind anyway, because it's like, you know what, we're taking in way too much. <laughs> and instead of your mind just trying to keep taking it in and trying to sort it out and find reasons and all of that, your mind's just like, we're going to check out. Mm -hmm. And I'm so lucky that it didn't go further than that to where I was missing longer periods of time. Like I can still remember, I can tell you majority of everything that has happened to me. I just can't tell you exactly what order or what year it happened in. I've heard the analogy um, with trauma of the brain that memories are more like pictures than a movie. Yeah. Is that kind of how? Yes. That's what I hear you saying. Because you can, like I said, I can tell you everything that I've been through. Yeah, I'm sure I'm missing some parts, and that's okay, because that's what I've came to accept, that maybe those are just too much for me right, <laughs> and right, that's okay yeah. with me right yeah. so it's like but like I said my timeline's chopped up there will be times that in telling my story I get asked the question I'll answer it truthfully and then I'm like oh wait that happened before the last question that happened before I said this mm -hmm. and so it doesn't kick in until like I sit here and think about it so at times but there's some things I just there's no answer to. I couldn't tell you exact dates or any of that, but I'm okay with that because <laughs> some of it, I feel like my body still, my mind still protects me from a lot and I'm grateful for it. So it's amazing that our brains would do that though. Yeah. I mean, they're very protective, very protective yeah. uh, the way, you know, God created the brain function. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very protective. It's, it's probably, you know, protected you from, some some nightmares or something yeah that you know so yeah. are, are from reliving certain things because certain things may have been just so bad to where you may not have been able to handle it so and trauma memories are 
very different. Yeah. You know, the way our brains register them and yeah. and things like that. So it is, it's definitely a protective mechanism, gratefully. Yeah, <laughs> right, for sure. So at some point, you got your GED. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I, it was... See, this is the part I can't, I couldn't tell you exactly if it was before or after I went to California, but it was, I know that when I went to California, I was supposed to be getting dropped off at GED class that night and I left and walked to the bus station. <laughs> so speaking of California, I was curious, um, cause I kind of already know Chelsea's story and not as much as in full as we're going through now, but as we get towards California and that season of your life, um, what I'm wondering is, you know, a lot of teenagers, as you're getting towards graduation and you're turning 18, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, yeah. I want to go do my thing. But you had this like incredible bond with your mom. Yeah. Um, that was also somewhat of a survival for you. And you're getting the fixes that your body, you need and your mind and body feel like they need. Right. And there's a dependence, right. A drug dependence forming is kind of how I'm, yes. you know, right. That's kind of going on. on. So what were you like as you were about to turn 18? Were you ready to get out of here? Absolutely. Like, okay. Um, we were living at my papa's house. My mama passed away when I was 13, so he was alone after that. Um, my mom and my stepdad struggled as far as keeping a house and whatnot. So my papa said we can move in with them, and that's what we did. And I, it was a three-bedroom house. There was, I want to say at least eight of us there mm. so I was in the living room <laughs> which was totally fine but I was like I can't I can't do this my drug addiction is getting bigger than me like mm. and I need I can't see my from a young age my promise to my mom was always I will live with you until I'm 18 when I'm 18 I will live the dream I will get my own house and then you will live with me for the rest of your life <laughs> that was an agreement we had I was going to take care of her there was going to be no need for her to work anymore that was my goal in life and I was like I gotta get out I gotta get some money mm -hmm. I've got to do something and I had am I telling how what happened with Not California yet. No. Okay. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh-huh. She's like, uh-huh. That's what I was like, I'm going to stop. <laughs> okay. All right. So your papa, what state were you in? I was in Kentucky. Kentucky. All right. So you were in Kentucky living a nice little kind of simple life, right? Yes. Kind of simple, you know, not not too many big lights and stuff flashing. Right. Not, yeah. not too much action going on. And then some kind of way you ended up in California? Yes, ma'am. How did that happen? I had a best friend in school, and it was a female, and she ended up moving to California before we graduated, and we stayed in touch on Facebook, whatnot. Um, she Can writes. Can I stop you really quick? Yes, I'm so sorry. Is this a friend who knew about your past? Uh, yes. This is yes. okay. All right. Um, she writes me, and she was like, "Hey, I'm in California." Wait, wait, wait. wait. What? Is this one of the friends, the best friend that you told? No. Okay. No, okay. No, no, no. okay, different friend. No, All right. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. That friend, she was gone okay. like once I got into high school. Okay. Um, So she writes me and she's like, hey, I'm in California. I come out here. I'm going to buy you your bus ticket. It's going to be paid for. Pack The trip will be three days long. Pack enough clothes to get here. My dad has a job waiting on you. We're going to go buy new clothes. We already have an apartment. Like, everything's going to be great. And me is, I just turned 18. 
this is perfect. Right. I get to go to California across the country. Like, I've got a job waiting for me. I'm going to have my own apartment. I'm pumped. Right. I can't wait. I do exactly what they say. I got dropped off. I walked to the bus station, got on the bus, whatever. So I get there, and her, she's with the black guy. I'd never seen this man before in my life. And she tells me it's her boyfriend. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And we go back to their house. Well, his house that I thought of. Um, we were smoking. We were going to go out to eat. And I'm on my phone because now when I left, as I said, I didn't tell anybody. I left a note under my pillow for my mom to find. I was, and the note said, like, once you find this, I'll already be in California, blah, blah, blah. She found it as I was on the bus. <laughs> she writes me freaking out. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, everything's okay. I'm already gone, which I wasn't yet. But <laughs> I made it out there. So I'm writing my ma as we're sitting there smoking. And the guy looks at me and he says, give me your phone. I said, I laughed at him. <laughs> no. This is the first day? Yeah. I said, no. I la-. He smacked the living daylights out of me. Wow. He said, now I'll say it again. Give me your phone. I said no. He punched me. And I looked at her. I'm like, what is this? Like, what? I don't, what is this? And it turned out to be it was her pimp that had got her to get online and tell me everything that a young, fresh 18-year-old needed to hear to get me on a bus to recruit me to get me out there. Yeah, so let's put a pin right there. Yes, ma'am. Um, talk about this recruiting thing, if you can. Okay. Um, a lot of females that have been on one side of abuse say they've been sexually abused in any way, once, twice, whatever. They hear about other females recruiting females for their pimp, and it's I would never do that. That's disgusting. And that's the side I was on. But now that I've been through what I have been through, I don't, I'm not, I'm ashamed of a lot of things that I've done. And that is one of them. I have been a recruiter. And that's when you are what a pimp or a trafficker would refer to you as their bottom girl. You can say it. Their bottom bitch. Mm -hmm. That. That is who they trust the most. That is the one female that they have some type, most of the time it's a sexual relationship. Most of the time pimps have a lot of sexual relationships with all their females. But the bottom girl, she has complete trust. He's the one that will trust her to be in charge of the other females. He will leave her alone in the house by herself or in charge of the other females while he leaves or you trust her with money anything he has she has the most respect the most trust and therefore she also along with being that and taking that title whether it's by choice or not it also part of your job description becomes to help recruit other females whether that is females that you knew like with me that you've been friends with that you just have to lie to like to get them out there and then it becomes a forced situation mm. or sometimes you lie to them excuse me and get them out there and then they're like well you know what we could make money and it's easier to just coerce them and talk them into it and other times it's just being straight out like hey you know what like you look decent enough we can make money with you this is all you have to do and you can make this much money we'll provide the protection the safety the house everything for you 
you got food, drugs, all of that. Everything will be taken care of. This is all you have to do. And, I mean, I've taken part in that, so, but she definitely recruited me. <laughs> so do you really make money? In the long run, I can't speak for everyone. Um, sure. Because different pimps, different traffickers do things differently. I've been under guys that I was able to keep, like, $20 just in cash out of whatever money I made because but with that that was a prize for me I was lucky to be able to keep cash at all because most of the time it's you do this and everything is taken care of you have a place to live you have drugs whatever your drug of choice is is supplied to you whenever you need it you have food you have protection like you everything else is included and all you have to do is sleep with somebody Wow. That was a really great description. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, I mean, we talk about the bottom bitch or the yeah. bottom girl, you know, and other segments with survivors in the past, but this was just, um, a, you did an awesome job just describing that and also, and how you get there, right? And the different ways it can be, like, different ways it can be presented. Um, and uh, so you're in this, You've been in California for one day. Yes. He knocks you, knocks you out, hits you. Abuse is happening within a day of being there mm-hmm. because you won't give him your phone. Right. And you're looking at her like, oh, well, I didn't understand. What, what is going on? <laughs> what kind of boyfriend is this? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like, what who are have you, you to let him touch me? Yeah, like, like I what just, is going on? I didn't get it. And then it came down to, I noticed all the red flags that I should have saw in the beginning. Let's start just by looking around. I noticed that day? That, yes. Like, as soon as he hit me, something in me clicked, and my mind automatically goes to, what is this? Like, what's happening? And I try to figure it out. And as I'm looking around, I'm like, I see a shoebox that has money in it. I see oh. a gun on the side of the bed. I see lingerie in a corner. I see all her heels lined up. I see handcuffs oh. over here. And it's like, I didn't, I just walked in when I first saw it. And I'm just like, they're into some kinky shit. <laughs> like, I was like, hey, like, do your thing. But then it's like, as it's happening, I'm like, everything's starting to make sense. And I'm like, I should have noticed that. Oh, girl. I feel like my stomach just went boop. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm thinking, I'm putting myself in this, like, mm-hmm. situation, which I've never been in, thank the Lord, but... Like, what I would be thinking, and, like, I just, it would make my stomach just, it just makes my stomach drop. I don't, I'm sure that's, like, so minimal compared to what you were feeling. I thought that was the end. Because. That was the end of it? I thought I was going to die there. Because I was like, if this person, I'm not even going to call him a man. If this person is hitting me already over something this simple, and my mod doesn't know who I'm with. She doesn't know what part of California I'm in. Like, I literally am in the middle of texting her, and now my phone's gone. <laughs> and it's like, I there's no way that no one's going to find me. This man is way bigger than me. She is way bigger than me. <laughs> and it's like, I just, I counted myself out. I went ahead, I started praying, and it's like, I just, I felt all the remorse and regret for everything that I, all the actions led up to it. Like, why didn't I ask 
to talk to her dad? Like, why didn't I question things more? Why didn't I ask what kind of job was set up so I could look it up? But I was so young and naive and just jumped on it that it's like, I don't know. It's hard. (laughs) So you knew in that moment what you were about to be asked to do? No, I just knew that I was in a position to where I hadn't done anything wrong and I was already being hit. And I was like, I don't, there's no way they're going to just let me walk away. Like, I don't know what's coming next, but I know that I'm not obviously not have the free choice to just say, no, I'm leaving. (laughs) So from that first day of you getting hit and you telling us this, if you can remember, what was the, I guess, the short time frame between that and you starting to service people? The next day. Wow. Absolutely. Um, I He would, <laughs> and I learned a lot, like, this was my first actual experience with a pimp. Um, I wasn't allowed, we weren't allowed to smoke cigarettes. Uh, that was a big thing. And the female that I went after, that was his bottom bitch. So it was just me and her at the time. Um, like his brother would come over with his girls and everything. But one day he sent us to the store. I was a cigarette smoking person. <laughs> I like if nothing else, I smoked. And I couldn't not smoke anymore. I was like, I asked for a random person for a cigarette. Well, she didn't smoke, but she was next to me when we smoked. So we both smelt like smoke. Even though I washed my hands, everything, he still smelt smoke on us. So the reasonable punishment for that was you get completely naked. You get put in a push-up position, and you stay there all day. It does not matter if his mom walks in the house. It does not matter if other females or other men walk in that house. You are in the doorway of the hallway from the living room to where people will have to step over you. Everyone will see you. And if you have to use the bathroom or you break position, you will get beat and put in that position for longer. And that was our punishment for smoking that day. Past that, I fought every day. This I I was not going to become that girl that did this willingly. I fought. So my face stayed messed up. He was not one of those pimps that would only hit you below here because most guys won't sleep with a girl that their face is messed up and they can see they're being beaten. So he wasn't one of those guys. <laughs> um, and I was not the type that was going to give up easy. I fought every day. My face stayed swollen. It got to a point I was in a hotel, and he couldn't trust me to leave me there in the room. He couldn't trust to leave me there in the room, not chained or tied to the bed, to service a man without me trying to run or me not doing what the man paid for. So there was quite a few men, especially the first few ones that came in. I'm black and blue at this time. And they would come in, and I did... What most girls that have been in that life for a while would call a rookie mistake. And I'm like, please don't do this. Please don't do this to me. And one man literally looked me in the eye and said, I'm sorry, but I already paid. And it's like, it just, it blow. it's gut-wrenching. It's like, I just don't see how. So he left and... 
whatever. So another guy came, and I asked him to take me with him. I was like, please, like, cut me loose. Let me go with you. Help me get out of here. And this was obviously I wasn't a good judge of character because this is not the type of man I should have asked. He then, therefore, did what he came to do, left, and as he walked out, he told my pimp, you need to get her under control. You've got your hoes asking me to take them with me. He was like, I will not come back here and spend money with you again. And so that got me in trouble big time because that's when you don't make cries for help to John's. You don't do it. Some of them, don't get me wrong, some of them you might catch with a softer heart to where they'll be like, you know what, like, here, I won't do this. Or I'll give you the money and say we did and we didn't, you know. But other ones are literally just there for that. And they don't care what happens. A lot of them, it's because they know what's happening and they're okay with it. Wow. Um. Okay, this. Sorry. No, no. This is, I mean, people need to know this is not like scripted here. Right. We're just, yes. we're, we're talking, we're being real. And, and Chelsea is so incredibly brave to even be talking about this. And, um, so thank you, Chelsea, for for talking about what the life really looks like, you know? And this isn't, this isn't, this isn't fake. This is happening Yes. every day. It's happening right now to yeah. girls and boys all over the world. And the sad thing is it's happening so much more now because I was thinking about, like after I listened to the first podcast and I'm reflecting on things that were said and like what message I'm really trying to get across and whatnot. It's like, I've thought about nowadays, like I'm not one to say anybody's story or trauma is bigger or lesser than anybody else's because someone that might've been through a man mugging them on the street might be just as traumatized as someone that experienced a man raping them. Everyone handles things different. So everyone's trauma level is different. So it's like certain things. And it's I think about how many stories I hear nowadays of children being abused, of women being trafficked, of women being raped. And a lot of it may not phase me a lot because I've been through that or more. But it's like it's becoming just so common now that people are like, it's not that big a deal to hear anymore when a woman's like, no, I was sexually abused by my father. I hear that so many times now, and it just blows my mind. I'm like, that's common, and it shouldn't be. Like, mm-hmm. that, it it just, it, blo- it happens so much to this day, whether it's girls being put out in the streets by pimps or being trafficked by anybody. It's become so common, and it's right in front of our faces every day on the street, but people don't see it for what it is. People aren't educated on what to look for. All they see is a female that is strung out on drugs that's on the corner selling her body. And they're like, you know what? She chose to be there. She made bad decisions. She's doing this because she doesn't want to quit being lazy and go get a real job. But what you don't see is that that girl's probably being abused. That girl probably has a pimp around the corner or that's a phone call away waiting on her to make the rest of this money, that girl probably wasn't on drugs prior to meeting this man. And it's like, it's people blame the person that they see. 
and they don't they're not educated enough on what is really happening behind it a lot of females that have like myself a lot of my felonies and drug charges are charges i took from my pimps they're charges i took from my traffickers and people just judge a book by its cover and it's like you just there's so much more to it and, and you, you make such a good point that we use these terminologies like I was sexually abused or I was trafficked and um, or, or whatever the term term is. But yet, what does that really mean? Like you're describing we're talking trafficking, but you're telling us what happens, like the evil, the ugliness, the abuse, the control, like behind that word. You know, and we throw these words around and and that's why I'm just so grateful and that that. You're taking us through the details of what that really looks like. Well, what is trafficking? You know, it, it's, it's servicing men time and over and over again against your will. Mm. It's being told that you, you said the wrong thing. You went against what I told you to do. You smoked when I told you not to smoke. And there's repercussions for that. And so the abuse behind it is... It's horrible. It, there's not. I don't know, there's not even a good word for that. I'm losing my words here. Um, and so the fact that you're willing to talk about what that really looks like, like behind that word, what what this means, um, and I know because I know a little bit about your story, and I know that you have a time and point, and when you actually left the situation, um, which we'll probably we'll, I think we're all going to do in another segment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but one thing I wanted to ask you, if you're willing to answer, is when it came to John's, um, do you mind talking a little bit about, like, a day in the life? Is this all day, every day? Absolutely. It is. I mean, it's all. it all depends. Like, I can tell you so much about what happens on the inside, but it's only from my experience. Like I said sure. plenty of times, a lot of pimps, a lot of traffickers, a lot of johns, they're all different. And so, but from my experiences, from the moment that a man, a john calls is when you are ready to work. It doesn't, your sleep, your eating, none of that comes priority to making money. So as long as there's men offering money for your services and he can force that to happen, that is how long it will happen for. Whether you go two days straight with no sleep, that doesn't matter. It, you service as many men to make as much money as possible. And in exchange, you get a place to say, you get, get, get a get shelter. Hostage. Yeah, yeah. Because this was, because the story changes a lot when. I'm starting out with this where I'm being forced into it versus later down the road when I know nothing else and I choose to be a part of that lifestyle. That's that's that that's a good place to put a pin. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I really want to dig deeper into that. Um, but I, I have one more question since Carrie asked this and you can speak for yourself like you've been doing. Um, how many would you say you serviced in a day? Like, what what did your most uh, 
what was the the largest number of men you serviced a day, if you can think? As little as two, as many, 75 to 100. In a day? In a day. Wow. Wow. It's not a matter of how many hours are in the day or how long you feel like working. It's a matter of how much money you can make in that day. Hmm. That's the main goal. And a lot of times, a lot of pimps will set a dollar amount goal for you. and But that's more so when they're putting you out on the street and trusting you to go to do it. But if you don't come back with that, there's repercussions for that. A quota. But when I'm just starting out and being forced in this, it's you take as much as you can get. Hmm. And are these people calling? How, how mo- what most likely were how... John's kind of got a hold of your pimp. Was it through online? These were drug addicts he found by the hotel. These were Mm -hmm. businessmen that he knew through his brother and his hoes. All of that. A lot of it was just connection and regulars. Mm -hmm. So so networking. Networking, yeah. Pimps networking. I just keep the words supply and demand just keep like running through my brain. As long as there's somebody willing to... Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. Well, um, thank you again, Chelsea. (laughs) She's amazing. Yeah, you really are amazing. I know I don't have to say that. For for giving us like a a glimpse, I guess, Mm -hmm. a a glimpse into what you were dealing with and experiencing. So thank you for that. Thank you for trusting us with your emotions Mm -hmm. to get through this and you know, to talk about this. Thank you so much. And um, we are not finished with our no, Survivor we're Series. No, we're not. We're, we're going to come back again and give you all some more. And hopefully um, this is really touching your heart. Hopefully it is opening your eyes to things that's going on around you, um, to ways that maybe you can help, even if that help is uh, decreasing your judgment, you know, uh, about what you see. Um, and being more concerned about getting to the root of what's causing certain behaviors than just looking at, well, she just chose to do that, or mm-hmm. um, she's getting what she deserves. You know, th- this this has to stop. This has to stop, and we all have a responsibility. Um, once we hear this, we are responsible um, for the people that we see. Mm-hmm. You know, if we see something that's not right, we need to say something. We need to do something. Um, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at... You can email us at support at reclaim611.org or you can check out our website at www.reclaim611.org. And until next time, don't forget to step into the fight. Bye-bye. Bye. Step into the fight.